Do you long to know God better? In his book, The God You May Not Know, Pastor David Jeremiah walks readers through how to develop intimacy with God, discover his character, and encounter God's holiness. For a gift of any amount to Turning Point, you'll receive this inspiring book. Gifts of $55 or more will receive The Knowing Set, and gifts of $75 or more will receive The God You May Not Know Set. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Christians aren't exempt from life's burdens. In fact, believers face persecution and other trials. Does that alter your view of God's goodness? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares how giving his children a tough road is proof of God's goodness, not because of its difficulty, but its destination. To introduce the conclusion of his message, Knowing a Good God, here's David. Well, thank you for joining us today. You know, uh, some time ago, I read a story about Denzel Washington where he said that when he goes to bed at night, he puts his shoes way under the bed so that when he has to get up and get his shoes, he has to get on his knees and reach in there and get his shoes. And then he says, while I'm down there, I pray. And I think that's a good reminder, isn't it? And what do you pray? Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being available to me. Thank you for loving me. While I'm down on my knees at the beginning of this day, thank you for your goodness. A great way to start the day. If you have to use your shoes to do it, do it. But uh, don't ever lose sight of the goodness of God. Today's part two of that discussion from the series, The God You May Not Know. These are the attributes of God. We're studying them, and uh, they are described in a book that I've written called The God You May Not Know. This 263-page book is available to you for a gift of any size from Turning Point. All you have to do is ask for it when you send your gift. That's right. Just send a gift of any size. We'll trust you to do what God tells you to do and be as generous as you can be. But we want to be faithful in our promise, and we will send you this book no matter what the gift is, because we want you to have the book, and we're grateful for your investment in this ministry. Well, we started this discussion on Friday. We're going to finish it today, Knowing a Good God. When Don and I started a church back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, we had some wonderful experiences there, but we had a few challenging ones, too. And there was a guy in this church who, I don't know how to say this any other way, he was after my head, He didn't like me. He got to the place where he was resistant to what we were doing. I heard things that he was saying. Now, this guy was impressive because he was six foot six, and he had white hair just like mine. And whenever you walked into a crowd, you could see him. What I found out I was doing is I was walking out on the platform to preach, and before I even prayed, I was looking to find out where this dude was. Is he here, you know? And I got so convicted about that. One day I was in my study, And I looked over on the desk in my study, and we had just produced a picture book of all the people in the church. It was really a nice thing, because you could put faces with names and all the rest. And I looked at that book, and all of a sudden, it hit me. I was fixating on one man, and here is a book full of the pictures of all the faithful people of God in our church. I had the choice either to rejoice that God had blessed us with so many wonderful, supportive people, or to fix my attention on one guy who was causing me grief. And all of us have that choice, do we not? We can either talk about the goodness of God, or we can commiserate, which means share our misery with each other. The Bible says, as a father pities his children, 
So the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. In other words, God is not expecting perfection from us. God is even good to those who don't know him. Did you know that? He's good to those who don't fear him. He's good to those who curse him. He fills the world with common blessings. We call it in theology the common grace of God. It's available to the saved and to the unsaved. It's available to the good and the bad, to the righteous and the unrighteous. You don't have to be a Christian to know that God is good. The Bible says he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God gives some of his goodness to all of his people and all of his goodness to some of his people, and none of us deserve any of it no matter what group we're in. The bottom line is none of God's people deserve his goodness, yet he has overwhelmed me with his goodness, and he's done the same for you. He's a good God. His goodness comes to us in the form of divine patience. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I want so much to preach everything that I have prepared, and I never get to do that. I read a statement from my mentor, Dr. Haddon Robinson, who said, the measure of a good sermon is not what you put in, but what you take out. And I have to struggle with that all the time. I was going to give you a little minor exposition of Psalm 107, one of my favorite psalms, but let me just tell you about it, and you can study it this week. This psalm is like a song that has a number of stanzas, and the chorus keeps repeating itself. And the psalmist writes this, and he talks about the struggles of his life. When he gets done talking about it, here comes the chorus. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. And then he goes on and tells another story, and he gets done with a little story, and he comes back. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Four different times he says that same thing. Look it up. It's in verse 8, 15, 21, and 31 in Psalm 107. The same words, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And what that says to me is that no matter what's going on in our life, no matter how hard it may seem to us right now, maybe you're going through a difficult place. Maybe you've never been in a place like this before. But if you look, you will see the goodness of God for it's everywhere. It's only when we block it out because we put our problems in the front of our mind and we forget how good God is. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. God is good. He provides for us. And God is good. He's patient with us. And God is good. He protects us. God is our protector. God's goodness is seen in the way he cares for us. When I was ordained as a minister to the gospel many years ago, I went through the process that they went through then and that we do somewhat now. I had to write a paper outlining everything I believed about doctrine. And every word I wrote was evaluated by some pastors and professors who were on the ordination committee. Unfortunately, I live very close to Cedarville College, and so a number of Cedarville faculty members sat on that ordination council. At my oral examination, my father, who was a pastor, and my mother were present to hear me being questioned about my doctrinal 
understandings. One of the men questioning me said, Mr. Jeremiah, there is no statement in your paper of doctrinal positions on the subject of guardian angels. Do you believe in guardian angels? And before I could answer, my mother spoke up and said, if he doesn't, I do. I remember that. It just blurted right out of her mouth. And my mother is not the kind of person who would ever do that. It was so unusual. So, I mean, I remember it to this day. She was thinking in her mind of all the times God had rescued me from my foolish escapades. She would never have gotten me out of the childhood alive apart from God's blessing. I was a curious child. And yet the angels, the guardian angels, were with me. One time, for example, I was staying with my uncle on his farm in Pennsylvania. He had a herd of milk cows along with all kinds of equipment and two huge silos next to his barn. I was about nine or ten years old, and one day when I was playing around in the barn, I saw a ladder attached to the outside of one of those silos leading to a gate or a door at the top of the silo. And I decided to climb up and walk around on the silage in the top. What fun that was going to be. So I climbed up the ladder, and I started to step into the silo, and when I looked down, there was nothing in the silo. It was empty. It was one long hollow tube. I was way, way up in the air, and my head started to spin, and I lost my nerve, and I started shaking, and I grabbed hold of the ladder with all that I had. And somehow I got myself turned around and inched back down that ladder. It was so terrifying. I can still feel my heart pounding after all these years. Every time I see a silo, I feel a jolt in my heart. <laughs> One slip and I would have plunged to my death. You see, I climbed the wrong silo. The other silo was full. This one wasn't. When I walked out, I got them reversed and I climbed the wrong one. I'm sure my mom was thinking of a number of such times when she blurted out the answer of my ordination. And Psalm 34 says it this way, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we know that goodness belongs to protection? Because the scripture says so. If you don't believe in the goodness of God, let me tell you something. The reason you don't believe in the goodness of God is because you do not know what you do not know. If you knew what you don't know, you would see many places along the way where God, by his goodness, has reached out and kept you. His goodness protects his people, and only when we get to heaven will we be able to look back over our shoulders if we're allowed to do this and see all of the places where God's goodness rescued us and we will praise him because his goodness protects us. And then God is good, he guides our pathways. The goodness of God guides us in life. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Here the psalmist connects God's goodness with his leadership in our lives. And we can connect this with a passage in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus had something important to say about this in the Sermon on the Mount. His words are worth pondering right here because they sort of provide a commentary. God's commands are a part of his goodness. We have misconceptions about God. 
Because sometimes we read in the scripture that there are prohibitions to our faith. And because people today don't like anything that conflicts with their idea of personal freedom, sometimes the rules they read about in the Bible are at odds with what they think God should be, his goodness. But the goodness of God is always demonstrated for us in the path he chooses for us in life and by the guidelines he provides for our belief. Listen carefully. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. If you read through that paragraph, you'll discover there are two gates, a wide one and a narrow one. There are two roads, a broad one and a difficult one. There are two groups of people, the many and the few, and there are two destinations, destruction and life. Imagine you were untouched and untaught by the gospel, and you're trying to start out and find out which way you should take. You're standing at the crossroads. The broad way goes this way. The narrow way goes that way. You have no instruction from God. Which road would you choose? Most of us would look over on the Broadway and see there's so many people going down that road. This must be the right way. But we know that we would be wrong because that way, while it is broad, the Bible says it leads to destruction. The broad way, where everybody wants to get on the road and go there, leads to death. Only the narrow gate, the difficult road, the small crowd lead to eternal life. And that's the road God chooses for us. If you're a Christian today, God puts you on that road by his goodness and grace. He says to us, I choose for you today this pathway. I choose the narrow gate. I choose the difficult way. I choose the few companions because I understand what's at the end of the road. There has never been a time in history when narrow gate theology, as one person put it, is more out of vogue than it is today. And yet as we walk with God, does not life itself teach us that God is good and that his way is best? The broad way, as we observe it today, is a lifestyle unencumbered by any moral guidelines. It is free from spiritual stop signs and ethical speed limits. You can sample the pleasures of life. You can live as you please. You can do things simply because they feel good. This is the life of saying, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. The narrow way has speed limits and has guardrails. And those traveling the broad way look over us, (laughs) and they say, come on, man, get a life. Loosen up. Color outside the lines once in a while. They think... Those of us on the narrow road, we're the weird ones. We're husbands and wives who decide to bond together for a lifetime, for better or for worse. We're parents who give ourselves to our kids and we're not just chasing dollars. We're children who are respectful of our mothers and fathers. We are families going to church, trying to serve the Lord God and doing what's right even when it's hard. It is difficult sometimes to be on the narrow road, but not to be on the narrow road is to be headed toward destruction. The Broadway is the road to death. People on this road tend to become bitter or disillusioned as they age. Have you noticed? They lose the vigor of youth. They lose the passion of life as they face the prospects of the cemetery. 
Anthony Bourdain, a 61-year-old iconic figure and famous chef, hanged himself in his hotel room in France. And famous designer Kate Spade chose the same method to end her life in New York City at the age of 55. Two people at the top of their game. Of his death, Bourdain's mother said she had no idea why he decided to kill himself. He had everything, success beyond his wildest dreams and money beyond his wildest dreams. In one article that followed up on both of these suicides, I read the following. How powerfully it speaks to the discrepancy between what we see of people on the outside and what they're experiencing on the inside, between their public faces and their private realities, between their visible swagger and their invisible pain. These two deaths happened in a week when newly released government statistics revealed a staggering increase in suicides by Americans. Between 1999 and 2016, it has increased by 25%. In other words, 45,000 people took their own lives. All is not well on the broad road. And so many who get on that road with all of their vision of what's going to be like when they get to their goal, they get to their goal, and it seems empty. It's not what they thought. Because you see, God has created us not ever to be satisfied with anything or anyone but him. And when we get on the narrow road, sometimes it's difficult, but behind it all is this vision of knowing God and being known by God and realizing that no matter what happens, God is there and God is good and all is well. People who are on the narrow way as they mature get closer to God as they come to the end of their lives. You see the relationship deepen. You see the confidence in their understanding of God grow They still bear fruit at old age, and they stay fresh and green and proclaiming. So God said, my friends, I've chosen this road for you. It's through a narrow gate, and it's a difficult way, and there aren't as many people going that way, but at the end of the road, that makes it all right. This is the road that leads to life and to peace. In his book of personal stories, just for a moment, I saw the light is the title of the book, John Duckworth wrote of the difficulty of growing up in a pastor's home. He said, as a child, we got so tired of hearing about the Lord's work. Consumed my parents. I weren't even sure they appreciated the sacrifices which they, including us, were making. John made a mental list of the sacrifices he was putting up with, cramped parsonages, not being able to afford restaurant meals, having to go to church all the time, having to move so much, having visitors in the house at all hours of the day and night. And then there were the times he and his little brother had to sing a falsetto duet of wonderful words of life at the nursing home. (laughs) One day a fire engine screamed past the parsonage and John's dad jumped into the truck to follow it. Knowing pastors were often needed during emergencies in small towns, the fire engine stopped at the Barnett house, but there was no fire. Apparently, Mr. Barnett had decided to dig a basement under his house, and somehow a jack or a log had slipped, and the house had collapsed on top of him. No one knew whether he was dead or alive, but the firemen hollered for everyone to stay back because they were afraid another jack or log would give way, trapping someone else. This young pastor's son said, Dad peered under the building, and there in the dimness he could barely make out the figure of a man hunched over, 
head bent to chest. Dad wasn't sure what Mr. Barnett's relationship to God was. What if he was alive physically but not spiritually? There might still be time to win him to Christ. And to one side, a volunteer firefighter was preparing to crawl under the house to see if the man could be rescued. And Reverend Duckworth, this young man's pastor father, sank to his knees. And it wasn't a pray. He crawled under the house. And as neighbors gathered and stood in hushed silence, the two men risked their lives in inching their way until they reached the trapped man. After determining that he was dead, they crawled back out, each moment risking the collapse of the house on top of them. When they broke the sad news to the family, John's father caught one of the daughters who had fainted at the news. He stayed with them for a long time. Meanwhile, John said, my mother was anxiously standing by the phone waiting for updates. And finally, my father, Reverend Duckworth, came home and told the story. In the days that followed, John watched as his dad cared for the bereaved family conducted the funeral, joined a team, built that new home for the Barnett family. And after that, John said his attitude toward the Lord's work began to change. I got used to small houses. I learned a lot of good hymns by going to church all the time. I learned to spot a bargain and saw a lot of country moving around so much. And I learned that God's work included things like crawling under houses, catching the faint, waiting anxiously by the phone, and pouring concrete. I saw that. All of us, from preachers' kids to farmers to firefighters to moms, enlisted in a vast army when we met the commander-in-chief. I found that we serve not because we live in parsonages, but because we live on the front lines. A few of us get our names on the church sign, but a lot of us don't. But all of us get to have the greatest job in the world, serving the good God who loves us the most. If you want to take the goodness of God and put it into action, you have to make the journey from his goodness to your service. Why do we know God is so good? Because he serves us. He so wonderfully blesses us with who he is. And what does he call us to do? He calls us to serve. We shouldn't have to stand up every time we do something around here and beg people to get involved. If we know who God is and how good he's been to us, we should be standing in line trying to find a way to serve him. Amen? Amen. And for all of you who do that, for all of you who serve, I'm here to salute you today. Thank you for expressing the goodness of God in the outreach of your life. Don't ever stop. I'm recommitted in my own life to be a servant. How can I serve my God better? Today, if you don't understand all of this completely, maybe it's because you're on the wrong road. There's a kind of language you learn when you get on the narrow road. It's not understood by those on the Broadway. I want to tell you something. I invite you today to make the transfer. There's still time for you to get on the narrow road. You can still make it. God loves you, and he sent his son to die for you. And if you will give him your heart and acknowledge him as your savior, he'll put you on the narrow road. You'll have some challenges, but you'll have the joy of watching God work in your behalf, as he always does. He's a good God, and he's worthy of your trust. Amen. Well, friends, uh, welcome uh, to this new week, and uh, it's my privilege to tell you that this coming Thursday, we're going to be in Boise, Idaho, with all of our Turning Point team and everything that we do in these rallies. We're coming to Boise. We'll be at the Extra Mile Arena, 
And uh, the event is free, but you must have a ticket. And the tickets are available from davidjeremiah.org slash tour. You should be making that request for tickets today. We will get them to you either uh, somehow through the mail or at will call, but you need to have a ticket. And a ticket for every person who comes. We're kind of uh, required to do that by the rally system. And so thank you for doing it. Thank you for involving yourself in this event. And tell others and pray, and let's ask God for a great night that he would visit us in Boise, Idaho this coming Thursday. We have been looking forward to this and praying for this and asking God's help in this for a number of weeks, and now the time has arrived. This Thursday night, the Extra Mile Arena, Boise, Idaho. And we'll be back tomorrow to talk about knowing and all-knowing God, an omniscient God, a God who knows everything. And we'll take two days for that, and Thursday and Friday we're going to talk about God's sovereignty. We're learning about God from his self a declaration in the Bible. God doesn't tell us everything about himself, but he tells us everything we need to know about him to have a relationship with him. And that relationship is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for your being with us today. And I hope you'll join us tomorrow right here on this good station for the next edition of Turning Point. Our message today originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. We'd love to hear how this ministry is impacting your walk. So please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Tawasin, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The God You May Not Know, and take the journey from knowing about God to knowing God. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The God You May Not Know, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. A.W. Tozer talked about unity in his book, The Pursuit of God. He said, if you have 100 pianos and you tune the first piano to a tuning fork, then tune the second piano to the first, and the third to the second, and so on until you have all been tuned, 
there will be discord. But if you tune each piano to the same tuning fork, there will be harmony. The same is true among Christians. Every Christian must tune his or her life to the life of Christ, not to the life of his neighbor. Only then will there be unity in the church. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's plan for unity on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today. Today.